Welcome to the FinTV podcast series, where we tap into the collective expertise of the world's leading supply chain, manufacturing, and digital innovators. My name is Maria Villablanca, the co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, and I'll be your host. Join us every week to hear the opinions, lessons, and general guidelines from the industry's leading minds. FinTV, insights for today's digital leaders. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of FinTV. I'm joined uh, by Mirko Senatore, who is the Global Supply Chain Lead, European Distributor Markets for Pfizer. Mirko, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what? No, my pleasure. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your, your journey so far? Sure. So, yeah, born Italian, actually. I was born and raised in Italy, and um, I'm now based in the UK, but although, you know, my, my journey has been through a number of different other countries. Um, been with, uh, with Pfizer right now for some 13 years, probably. Um, prior to that, I was a couple of years in consultancy at the beginning of my career. And actually, with Pfizer, you know, I had the opportunity to venture around uh, a number of different opportunities and a number of different roles, um, but mostly within the supply chain space. So um, I started with my current role, which is um, hands-on operations, around one and a half years ago. Prior to that, actually, I was uh, for a long time involved in uh, like strategic projects, strategic planning for, for the EMEA region, Europe, Africa, Middle East, for Pfizer. And right now, my responsibility is over a cluster of 22 countries, um, spanning between Eastern Europe and uh, Central Asia, the, what we call the mm, distributor markets, because uh, essentially... In most of these markets, we, we don't have direct presence, but we do have supply chain operations. And basically, my job is all about making sure that all the trains are running on time, that we can deliver our products to our patients uh, right when and where they need it. And um, yeah, also trying to, to bring about some change in the way we operate in these markets and um, you know, increasing the, or trying my very best to increase the level of maturity through a team of professionals that are actually working uh, in my team uh, specifically on the field. Interesting enough, I mean, in the last couple of weeks, I've been um, very busy, like pretty much any supply chain practitioner with uh, dealing with the COVID-19 uh, crisis and actually acting as, you know, in a bit of a special role as part of the task force at Pfizer and particularly focusing again EMEA and the communication we're having with uh, with our external parties in particular, just to um, basically handle the situation that, um, you know, as best as we can, really. Well, you know, you bring up COVID-19, and again, it's, it's kind of hard not to talk about COVID-19 right now. We're in the midst of this crisis and in this unprecedented time. What what has the effect of COVID-19 been on uh, altering demand patterns, for example? I mean, not surprisingly, I mean, one thing that we have seen as an industry is um, is a clear in, instinctive reaction probably by most of the governments around the globe um, at different times, okay, depending on, you know, how how quickly they were getting affected in the country. But, you know, sort of like reaction to try and stockpile as much as possible. Um, and we have seen this on two levels, you know, on one side, we've seen it for you know, um, COVID-19 treatment-related medicines, so the ones that are used in the um, treatment of the, you know, disease um, symptoms, really. Uh, but on the other side, we've also seen this across the board for all the medicines, and that's particularly true for sort of like landlocked countries, 
we kind of fear, you know, we don't know how the supply chains are going to react, and therefore we want to make sure that we got some stock in the market to, you know, mm-hmm. get on with it until until the situation is back to normality. So that's clearly an alteration of the demand pattern, and it's putting a lot of strain on our supply chain and on our people in particular, because clearly, I mean, the capacity that pharma manufacturers have are, I mean, it's not endless. So, I mean, there is a limit to, to what we can produce. And normally, this is something that we need to manage very carefully because in reality, this is a pandemic, is uh, is global. It's going to affect all countries at some point, you know, one, you know, sooner or later. So we need to make sure that, um, you know, we can basically allocate the product we are able to produce just at the right time where there is a genuine need by the patients, where there is actual mm-hmm. consumption, um, where stockpiling is a bit of a precautionary measure, very understandable. However, it's going to put strain somewhere else in the world or in, uh, in the upstream supply chain. So it's, uh, yeah, it's something that is you know, posing quite some challenges in terms of uh, managing the stock. I mean, in the end, what we see in um, with grocery goods, you know, and you know, the, the example of toilet paper is, is becoming like brilliantly and infamously yeah. famous at the moment. Yeah. We're still using the same amount of toilet paper, probably, like, you know, likelihood. Um, we are still manufacturing the same amount of toilet paper in the world. But still, our shelves are empty, and that's that's a problem. So people in genuine need for toilet paper today might not might not find it simply because, you know, there is this sort of like panic reaction. Now this is, I mean, it might sound like a trivial example, but it's valid for pretty much any any sort of like supply chain, any sort of industry that right now is being affected by this. So it's uh, it's a problem really. So do you think that the sort of I mean, who would have been able to predict that we'd that people would be hoarding toilet paper? You know, no models. There's got to be no models, no you know, no statistics, historical statistics to 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 plan for such a scenario. So, do you think that there are a lot of unknowns that are out there that are affecting psychological you know hoarding uh, patterns that are affecting the way that we plan for uh, demand? I mean, the psychology of this is absolutely paramount. Um, clearly, I mean, the role that the um, fear is playing in all the situation, and more than fear, we call it uncertainty. Uh, I mean, there is a component of fear, but there is a big component of uncertainty because one thing that probably nobody can really uh, model at the moment with um, 100% accuracy is how long this thing is going to last. Yeah. Um, and we we can expect that this is going to go in waves and markets, uh, sorry, not markets, countries who are taking measures Today, you know, are going to go through a period where measures won't show immediate results, and then at some point the numbers will turn, will start to twist. But still, it's going to take time, and not everybody's acting at the same time. And, not, and given that not everybody are acting at the same time, obviously you have countries that will follow, and we live in a global world. So and the big question is also what's going to happen to openness of the borders. Now, I mean, th- I'm, I'm taking this sort of like wide detour just to say. It's difficult to predict how long this thing is going to last and how, to which extent it's going to affect the, the trade and movement of goods. And while the, I would say the European Commission, by example, is being extremely supportive in helping our you know, road transportation to, to flow freely when it comes to pharmaceutical products, first necessity and so on, obviously um, we see that certain aspects of supply chain are affected, you know, like air freight capacity is a problem because all the passengers' flights 
are being affected, and therefore that reduces the effective capacity that everybody could use to, to ship goods overseas. Now, uh, clearly, I mean, this is coming back to your question, Maria. This is something that was very, very hard to predict, and I'm sure that many companies have sort of like epidemic, pandemic uh, plans in place. The problem is there is never um, such a thing like the real thing. So, I mean, you can you can mock up anything you want, but essentially, if you really want to have a clear understanding of how robust your business continuity plans are, well, this is it. I mean, there is absolutely no other way. Um, there is nothing that is going to be so impactful. As you rightfully pointed out in the introduction, this is unprecedented and probably unexpected to this extent. Quite frankly, there, there are many, many elements that need to be taken into account. And um, I think the resilience of the supply chain is one thing and it's very important. But in the end, we need to take into account that the number of cases is very, very substantial. And basically what moves supply chains, what moves manufacturing sites are people. So, you know, no matter how prepared you are, you are, but you know, if if cases start to hit your people, because people go out and basically, you know, just like are exposed like anyone else, well, you know, I guess what there is a point where um, even the manufacturing capacity is going to be affected. So that's that's the thing that is extremely intertwined with um, with the duration of the crisis. I mean, the, the long, longer it lasts, the higher the chances are that our operators, our supply chain colleagues are going to be affected no matter how safe they take it, you know, because obviously if we got many, many cases around the world, there must be a reason. I mean, this is very easy to spread. So there's got to be a lot of contingency planning that's that's happening right now to account for business continuity in, in, in terms of different scenario planning uh, plans. Is that something that, uh, that you guys are doing as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the moment, um, I guess everybody in the industry are busy to just, you know, guarantee supply continuity. Um, scenario planning wise, yes, of course, you know, you start to to plan against things like the um, actual demand uptake that you might have products, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, how quickly you can respond and <laughs> naturally like increasing capacity in the manufacturing side is not something you do overnight. Um, yeah. And doing like structural changes like this in this moment of crisis is particularly difficult because you know you need to rely on a number of external parties that are constrained just like we are suppliers and so on. So right now, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of scenario planning involved. But at the same time, um, I guess most of the focus is is around making sure that uh, we can continue delivering uh, according to what is the, what the demand is today, because really, really that's the number one problem. And then in parallel, looking at what we're going to do tomorrow. And and, um, and, and sorry, just uh, just no, to, no. in talking about this, you know, seeing today and tomorrow is not just figurative. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the situation is changing by the hour. So, like the type of decisions you need to to make, uh, is, you know, incredible in, in, in terms of like it's actually extremely extremely. Um, labor-intensive and, and time-consuming because I mean, this situation needs to be responded with, with a level of agility that requires you are there almost day and night, almost 24-7. Well, you know, you, you've said something really interesting here, which is that the ground is shifting or changing every, not just every day, it's every hour. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about 
And I think I, I've been watching the news, the president of the United States talking about sort of like a warlike uh, environment and sort of thinking of this like a war. I don't necessarily advocate that kind of conversation, but do you think there's some merit in a guerrilla type of decision-making, you know, that, that uh, right now teams need to be managed looking at information hourly and just adapting and adjusting and just going with as much, you know, for the firefighting mode that we're in? By any, by any means. I mean, there is absolutely no doubt around that. I mean, clearly the way of working has completely changed for all of us who are involved in supply chain. Again, this is not just pharma, okay? So <clears throat> pharmaceuticals, obviously, we got an extra layer of responsibility because we, we do have, um, an, you know, an additional ethical responsibility towards our patients. But for any supply chain practitioner around the world, they are under pressure, they're struggling. I mean, you, you deal with information, you're bombarded with information about, you know, your, I don't know, your carriers who actually cannot go one lane anymore because of restriction being import, imposed on the border. You deal with um, a manufacturing site uh, where basically new cases are identified and therefore you need to isolate that particular shift mm -hmm. of workers and, and you know, switch your, your capacity, um, you know, your capacity production, so the production capacity. So, um, you know, all this kind of information are absolutely coming continuously. And obviously, it's interesting to see what's happening to the priorities that we all had set at the beginning of the year without knowing what was going to happen. And, you know, we had our own objectives and our objective process and, you know, things and transformational things we wanted to do. I mean, for us, and particularly for people leaders and people managers, this is also an additional thing to manage because clearly people are coming to us and asking, okay, so yes, I know this, this is the most important thing to do right now, what about the rest? I mean, when we come to, you know, the objective review, I mean, I'm going to fail on this, this, and this. So mm. how are we going to deal with that? That's that's obviously something that is a problem, and it's a consequence exactly of what you what you mentioned, the, the sort of like guerrilla-like response that is in place. Now, uh, you know, I also don't don't buy and don't like the analogies with with war, and I don't think it's helping anyone in this moment in time. But um, but what I find interesting is that if you look around and you look the um, pictures and videos from the countries which are on lockdown, you witness almost an apocalyptic scenario, post-apocalyptic scenario. It's, it's almost dystopic, I would say, mm -hmm. and it reminds a lot of the of the post uh, World War II tales that probably many of us have heard from our parents or our uh, grandparents. Grandparents, yeah. Yeah. So. So the thing is, um, back then, you know, when I was hearing those stories, I was a child and I wasn't really fully grasping what this is all about. Right now I'm, I'm a grown adult and, uh, and actually I fully understand because I'm living it. And on top of that, I'm on this other side of the fence because, you know, being in supply chain, uh, obviously it's where you are being most affected at the moment. I mean, where any company is being most affected at the moment, supply chains are basically the, the the areas that need to show resilience and that are uh, in fact tested like never before and hopefully like never after. You know, hopefully you're, you're absolutely right. There's, uh, like you said, we're, we're living in, in, in these, these very difficult times and it seems almost indulgent to think about the things we were talking about and thinking about six months, just six months ago, just six months ago, 
when you're planning at the end of your year, you know, 2020, what it's going to look like, forgetting about on a personal level, on a professional level. So as a leader of a supply chain practice or a leader of a manufacturing practice within your business, you had a number of different criteria. We were looking at uh, digital transformation strategies, uh, strategies related to team growing and targets and budgets. And it, it almost seems like a lifetime ago that those were priorities. Yet, at the same time, whilst we are crisis managing and while we are fighting fires, you can't forget about the important things in the business too, that you've got to create a, you know, a sustainable business that will exist beyond this, this crisis. So some of the important things that need to be done, such as managing your teams effectively is, is you know, and laying down solid processes are important. So what kind of things that um, I guess are always on the list of to-do can't be forgotten now during this crisis? Maybe if you could talk to us a little bit about that. Um, I think we, we could look at it, you know, from a couple of perspectives. On one side, you know, things that everybody needs to do. And, um, and on the other side, things that, are particular things that are particularly important for people managers. So as far as the former category is concerned, I would say probably the most important thing, and it's a bit counterintuitive, but that's absolutely critical for success, is respecting the existing processes and structures. It's very easy to enter panic mode. It's absolutely natural. It's uh, human nature. It's, it's sort of like instinctive response almost. The problem is, um, and that's coming back you know, to the initial question we, we tackled about the demand peaks, et cetera. We know that you know, the reaction we're going to get from the outer world is going to be so powerful and so huge that essentially we're going to be overwhelmed. Now, the worst thing you can do when, when you're getting overwhelmed is just like to start you know, responding any, any request with sort of like ad hoc uh, answers. And, uh, and in reality, the problem is, if you do, you lose sight. What I was mentioning before, you know, we need to, we need to sort of like think of this as a sort of like global um, approach, holistic approach to how we serve our patients around the world, okay? So if we start to responding individually to um, like, you know, a spot on request that we receive from one country or another, we're going to lose sight of the big picture. In order for us to be able to respect this sort of like holistic view, it is absolutely important to really comply with the structures that we had put in place in normal times. Because you know, like I'm talking escalation processes, I'm talking um, you know demand and forecast management processes and infrastructures. If you start skipping those steps, if you start skipping those nodes, you're going to mess up. I mean, quicker than it would normally happen just in a in a crisis uh, in a crisis like this. So I would say that's probably like for me the most important thing, the one thing that I'm emphasizing to to my organization, to my team, say guys, you know, remember this is what we need to do. The way we're always acted, we know the level of questions and requests we're gonna get is going to be different. But the way we're going to respond is you know, we have more scrutiny by following the same channels as we used to do before. Unless you do that, I mean, the, the chances for, for failing, are unfortunately, um, yeah, spreading like a virus, essentially, really. And uh, I, th I, think, I, th I think that's a very, very valid point. You're, you're absolutely right. We don't, we don't want to be in a situation where, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to juggle, isn't it? Part of you wants to panic. Part of you wants to adapt, be agile, 
respond to things in a different way. Like we talked about guerrilla tactics, but at the same time, you, you're absolutely right. Businesses like yours that have survived so long uh, have rigor, have processes, have infrastructure, and they're solid. And not only are they solid, they need to be adhered to. So it's counterintuitive, you're absolutely right, but it's, it's absolutely important. That's a very good point uh, to make. So with, with this unprecedented situation though, at the same time, let's go back to unprecedented measures. Uh, you know, you need to do some things that perhaps you hadn't done before. Any advice on that? I would say, um, again, first of all is, you know, the one thing is to really pull out the right resources and just um, move them from their standard role, from their, their day-to-day job, and just like put, put a task force together, really, really competent people, and um, and really make them work. Um, I think it's a lot about people. And, uh, and for that, one thing that is, is probably just very important that many cases in many companies uh, have never been done before is to break certain silos that historically were there. Um, I think, you know, it's very difficult to stay positive and optimistic in this kind of situations, but it's, it's actually, I shouldn't even say it, this kind of situations in this, in this situation, because there's not, there's no, yeah, there's nothing of its there's yeah. nothing of its kind. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, it's one of a kind. So, um, so it's very difficult. But um, but one thing that I notice is that uh, the level of collaboration is um, is actually much higher than usual, and that's within within the organization, within the group, within the company, and across different companies. So I've seen a level of openness and collaboration that I had never seen before. Honestly, there is a bit, bit of like a social consciousness around the fact that we are all in this together. We all play a role, and the role we're going to play is going to be important for everyone else. Not everyone else in the company, not everyone else in the organization, but everyone else in the world. How, how important is that level of collaboration in a time like this? Absolutely. Uh, I would say... I would say paramount, but it's actually something you can't do without. It's, uh, you, you cannot, I mean, there is absolutely no time to, um, to be territorial, to fight over responsibilities. We also overwhelmed that unless we collaborate and everybody puts his own little piece there, this is not going to work. Yeah. yeah even if we do, there is no guarantee it's going to work. But if we don't, there is almost a certainty that he won't. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I'm, again, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with um, with the level of collaboration, and I must say, as I mentioned, you know, within the organization, within the company, across companies, and also with the with the authorities. Um, I think you know the level of dialogue that is in place with the um, with the European Medical Agency. Um, it's actually something that is obviously responding to a need that was never like before, but uh, it's, a, it's a level of agility that you wouldn't expect in, uh, in this kind of like very formal, very structured interaction between industry and, uh, and public um, institutions. So this is making a difference, honestly. So let, let's talk about managing people at the moment, because that is, you know, that's, that's one of the key elements that we can't forget. You know, we talk about processes, we talk about rigor, we talk about adaptability, agility, um, having, you know, not panicking. Let's talk about managing people. People are scared right now. People are concerned about their jobs. What, you know, what can manager, people managers do right now? So I think the first thing that people manager 
I would recommend should do um, would be to remember that our people and our teams are um, ultimately as exposed as, as anyone else to this crisis. So they're not just the ones that are on this side of the fence, but essentially we're both, I mean, we're all on both sides of the fence. You know, we're all, I would say always, you know, that's particularly true in pharmaceutical, you know, we're all pharma professionals, but we're all potentially patients. And our beloved ones are all potentially patients. So there is an Absolutely. element of, there's an element of like a psychological safety to, to be taken into account. And honestly, a psychological impact that should not really be ignored. That's, that's one element. The other, the other thing is um, clearly, um, I think with, with that in mind, one measure that is um, naturally very much needed and that most countries have done, have been put in place right now is to like promote or force or enforce, I would say, teleworking, so remote working. Now, I am lucky enough that my team was already dispersed, you know, because I'm responsible for large geography. So, so clearly we were used to work already as a remote team and we had already some structures in place. But I'm, you know, sympathizing with the teams that are actually used to be co-located, same building and same office, and that they're now facing a situation that is completely unprecedented. We can't be sure that um, they were digitally ready to do this, and that takes very, very quick uptake. Now, the other thing is obviously I heard a lot of. Um, now I don't have any children, but but I heard a lot of concerns about the fact that now obviously parents have to work from home, share space with their significant others. In some cases, you know, both workers, and uh, and clearly, I mean, sometimes the space is not fit for the purpose. I live in London, so I know that space is a problem here. Yeah. So, so and, and the other thing is that obviously children are at home. They need to take their you know, e-learning and online education, and they need to be looked after. So, I mean, for people managers, it's just absolutely very important to make sure that we have a level of understanding that flexibility is required. It's absolutely super required, and it's now more than usual being open to you know flexible hours knowing that people will uh, will you know connect at weird times may, maybe very early in the morning very late in the evening and maybe they won't have enough time during the day and just be absolutely fine with it again for people like me i'm used to remote working um been doing this for more than five years now this is just normal uh, but I do understand that it's not the normality for the vast majority of, of workers, not yet. Perhaps we'll learn something from this. Again, perhaps uh, remote working is something that will become more common and more accepted. Um, I guess with all of the um, caveats and with all of the um, sort of like warnings that need to be, need to be in place. Uh, and here, I guess, irrespective of the crisis, one thing that um, that should be always reminded to those who do home working is to be disciplined, not for what some people might, might think, well, I'm, I mean, people working from home are not going to work enough, rather the opposite. People working from home would tend to never really disconnect. Laptop is on, emails keep coming in, you'll be checking you know, your stuff first thing in the morning, last thing before, last thing before sleeping, mm. it's, it's just messy. Particularly when, when we're talking about a crisis, the workload is so high that there is a risk of burnout. 
And I guess as people managers, as people leaders, we have a responsibility to remind our people that this is going to be a marathon, this is not a sprint. So you can't possibly burn the candle both hands. You need to make sure that you save some fuel for the rain piece. As far as we are aware, this is going to last for at least another couple of three months. So we better be prepared to, to have enough mental and physical energy to sustain this, uh, this long run. I think you're absolutely right. It's funny. I was just commenting the other day about how now that I'm working from home, I feel strangely as though I'm working more uh, than I was when I was working. Maybe because when you're working in an office, you have a chance to chat, talk to people, you know, that, you know, I, I acknowledge that right now we're in a crisis. So there is no off button really for especially people running supply chains, running different types of organizations right now. There really is no off button. We are in the midst of a crisis. Uh, but you're absolutely right, the psychological element of this. You bring up an interesting point about um, remote working potentially becoming the new normal. Certainly it's the new normal for, for now. What about um, digital preparedness? You, you and I were talking a little bit about that before we, you know, we, uh, we started to record this. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah, digital preparedness is, is actually a very, very interesting aspect. Um, again, some, the level of preparedness is, uh, is very different depending on, on the company, you know, how prepared they were. And uh, first of all, you know, we need to understand that certain, certain jobs are more suited than others to be performed remotely, okay? And um, obviously more conceptual type of jobs can be done, but some, in some other cases, this is, this is more difficult. Now, there are things to be taken into account. Um, obviously, first of all, having equipment for any employee to be able to do their job from home. Uh, that's, that's one element. Um, I guess many companies utilize VPNs, so virtual private networks. Uh, that's something that is going to be stressful for, you know, to, for the IT departments to, to manage because with all the company going to use the VPN at the same time is going to be problematic. I mean, it's probably I'm not sure whether everybody's got that level of capacity or redundancy in place to, to, to handle. And for all of that, actually, that's within a company, but then there is obviously the, <laughs> the outer world and the external factors. And clearly, you know, if we work from home, we probably have different levels of uh, broadband speed, different level of, um, I mean, we, we shouldn't assume that everybody's got unlimited amount of data in their packages. So that's also not guaranteed. Um, how the company is going to deal with that? Is they going, I mean, are the company going to compensate for that to the employees or not? Big question mark. And on top of that, I guess, considering that this is not just one company, but it's pretty much most, the vast majority of the population, all the internet service providers are also going to be strained in, in terms of like the um, availability of band they, they could give for a very, very high number of users connecting all at the same time. So digital preparedness is one element. And even in this case, probably even with the best contingencies, um, it's, it's very difficult to be fully prepared because there are elements that are beyond um, a company's control. And, um, and that's something to, to account for. So even in that case, probably it, it comes um, it comes to just being a bit open to level of flexibility, in different aspects. Maybe considering employees working at different times, different shifts. I mean that that's that's one possibility. Um, I guess you know in, in my world, the use of um, video cameras during during conference calls is very common. Whether that is sustainable or not. Um, it, it's something that must be seen you know, in, the, in the long run, in the next 
you know, few weeks, we'll, we'll figure out whether the, our internet service providers will be able to support this, this intensive exchange of uh, data packages. So that's um, it's a big question. I mean, uh, as far as I'm personally concerned, it's interesting fact. I mean, I'm always advocating with, uh, with my current team the usage of video cameras because I find it so important to somehow compensate. Make that connection. To make that yeah. connection. Uh, yeah, exactly. Make a connection, compensate for the lack of like, physical presence in a, in a virtual world. Uh, and right now, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be happy to sort of like start giving a different type of um, of uh, indication, because while I know, you know, my team would be ready to sustain without losing any trust and credibility, because we we are already like a team working effectively together, I think, you know, we would be losing something. And again, in in a time where <clears throat> it's more important than usual to to stay connected, even just for psychological reasons to make people feel that you know you are there as a manager and they can come and talk to you if they have concerns now more than ever uh, because we're all scared and uh, we're all anxious about what's going on. Um, losing one of the media available it's, it's actually not going to be very, very convenient. But if it is what it is, well, we need to come to terms with it. Yeah. So let's let's go back to i mean we've 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 chatted about quite a lot of different topics give me some practical tips I mean, you've given me quite a few but if you were to summarize right now for supply chain leaders during this crisis what advice would you give them first and foremost uh, do not forget the tried and tested so um, as i mentioned before you know respecting the existing infrastructures things that have worked in the past is at least um, a very good starting point to then adjust and you know respond to the specific needs, um, but you know avoiding panic is absolutely critical to to prevent a guaranteed failure. So that's first thing. Second thing I would say uh, for specific specifically for people managers, make sure that you guarantee psychological safety for for your team. And um, and the third one probably would be, again more generally uh, supply chain wise uh, related. Um, get ready to the idea that um, the ways of working is going to change radically and it will require dedicated efforts by um, colleagues and people who would normally do something else uh, and that will require also reconsidering the priorities and shifting and accepting that certain other things that are not as urgent will come to um, hold at least for some time. Um, you know, and potentially will, will, will force us to reconsider the plans for the rest of the year, um, even once the situation will have settled. I guess with that in mind, um, I would really urge everyone to um, just, um, in these very difficult times, look at the, at the potentially the bright side of things and um, the unique opportunity to really understand well, what and where are our failure modes our supply chain, how really re resilient those supply chains are, and learn from this uh, this situation for the future, um, so that we can say never again. I mean, you know, there are things that are beyond our control, but I think you know we always have to learn something from the difficult situations, and that's uh, that's probably something to be taken into account in this kind of instances. It's funny um, how. Um you know, a lot of people have been that I've been interviewing have been focusing on the opportunities that we have in this crisis. I think in general, what I'm gathering from all the interviews I've been doing and the conversations I've been having is that there's a spirit of, this is, you know, a difficult time. We know this, this is serious, 
but we will overcome it and we will overcome it if we do it together and we will be better for for this experience and people talk about the unintended benefits or unintended opportunities a crisis like this can shine so you know can can show us so for instance we talk about a future with uh, more collaboration than we've ever seen before and this is something you've just said as well uh, we talk about the way that we manage people can change you know more uh, you know remote working different types of methodologies or different accepting different types of ways of working with people uh, more diversity in teams as well bringing people to the table that perhaps we never would have considered before uh, that might be able to deal with crisis you know people from different backgrounds um, we talk about the emergence of new business models, potentially, uh, looking at a circular economy, the impact that the, on the environment that this, this has had already and that it can have, um, and the possibility of emerging with more digital transformation, you know, to help automate certain parts of the, the functions. What do you think of all of the things that I've just said? Do you, you know, do, would you like to comment on that? I can put there a blanket comment because I pretty much agree on all. Uh, really, I think that's um, it, it's all of it. Honestly, it's all of it. Uh, again, we need to to stay focused on delivering today, but also start building and rebuilding for the future. And it, it is clear that the disruption we are experiencing is not going to end the moment the virus will be stopped. I mean, it's going to have some implications. There's going to be an aftermath. Doing that aftermath, again, um, unfortunate example, but like in the post-war period, it's about reconstructing, rebuilding. So, so really, uh, in this case, we we will have a clear understanding of our, you know, failure points. We will have potential failure points. We'll have a clear understanding of the relevance of our digital solutions and how well and how effectively they are working under extreme conditions. Um, we will have a probably a renewed understanding uh, of, the, um, of the way we, we deal with people, and the way we communicate with people, and the way we manage people, and possibly we'll have also a bit of a cleaner air because there's no air transit going on. So, so I think that's that's actually it sounds like a joke, but it's also interesting to understand that um, one of the first things we and most companies did actually when when the the emergency started to rise was banning international business travel, except for you know very extreme cases. Well, that's interesting. I think uh, I think you know probably gives us gives us a chance to reflect on how really needed that level of trouble is. And um, in a time like never before, we are talking about environmental sustainability, that is going to be an important consideration to, to draw. What, what does that really mean? And maybe for everybody to work from home will also mean just reconsider the coexistence of um, work life and private life. I, I don't like to call it work-life balance because I, I think it's uh, a definition that has got some flaws, but but let's say the coexistence of the two words, how the two could possibly coexist. I mean, all of this is uh, just coming under the lens, not right now because we are just focused on something else, but there will be a time where you'll feel probably a bit silent when the noise will be down, we'll, there'll be a chance to stop for a second, breathe again and reflect on, okay, so what do I take from this? Yeah, what, what, what did I take from this? What can I do to improve it? And 
And I think one of the things that we're all agreeing is that the next phase of this, once we get out of this crisis, will still not be the, you know, what we had a year ago or six months ago. We are going to be doing this uh, for a long time in whatever levels, whether it's at crisis mode or reflection mode uh, or learning mode. But uh, normality as we knew it's, you know, three, four months ago is not going to happen for a while. I think there's a very important point, which is to to get through this period and then find out what we learned from it and uh, hopefully never again. Thank you so much for joining us very much, Mirko. We really do appreciate it. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again in, uh, on FinTV. Thank you very much for having me, Maria. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Lovely. Thank you.